Please be seated. Today's reading is taken from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, So it's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 11. Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at, that, at, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. Is this on? Sounds like it's on. Thank you very much indeed for uh, reading that so nicely to us. Uh, Before we pray, I just want to draw your attention to one thing. Uh, If you're a visitor, it's uh, particularly lovely to have you with us. Uh, You're very welcome indeed. Do make yourself known to a regular. We'd love to welcome you well. Uh, I just want to draw your attention to the very bottom notice. This is incredibly tedious, uh, but we're trying to make a new church directory And in order to do that well, uh, we will send you an email on Wednesday uh, with your information slightly crossed out so that if somebody hacks your email, they don't know all your information. So if you look at and think, what are they doing, all these X's, we're trying to protect you. Please could you, as soon as you get it, it will take you 30 seconds. Uh, You just need to press a button and say it's correct or it's not correct. All the instructions will be there, but you would make Chris's life a, a wonderful joy if you did it straight away. Uh, And uh, if Chris's life's a joy, my life's a joy. So um, thank you very much indeed. Let's say a prayer. Father, thank you so very much that you are a God who speaks. And so we ask you now, as we stand on holy ground, as we see this uh, extraordinary example of your son's sacrifice for us, we pray thrill our hearts open our hearts and minds to receive this truth that we might be transformed to be the people you designed us to be for Jesus sake amen if you were trying to build a community where people genuinely looked out for each other how would you do it you're trying to get people to really think about other people's interests as I say that maybe some of you are responsible for teams at work how do you get people to pull together Perhaps you think of your family, and if you're honest, sometimes your family is more a collection of individuals who live together than a group, a community that loves one another and and lays down their preferences for others. Paul writes to this church in Philippi, as Andrew said, where there is some relational trickiness. It's, It's a church, it's a wonderful church, but there is some conflict, and at the heart of the issue, as in so much conflict, is pride. 
And Paul knows if this church is to be truly united, then they need to humble themselves. And so he urges them, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now it's possible, isn't it, to have a church that is genuinely united, but the, the fellowship, the community is shallow. Because frankly, people only see each other once a week. And in a church of this size, it's big enough that I'm pretty sure you can avoid the people who are difficult. You can steer clear of people who are different to you. But Paul's longing is not just a surface kind of unity, but that people would think so highly of others in the church family that genuinely they'd serve them. Genuinely they'd forego their preferences for the sake of others. But how does he achieve it? Does he come up with some flash vision statement? Does he hold a kind of team building weekend, send them off to some retreat center? No, he seeks to achieve it by getting them to think about Jesus. Getting them to see that our God is a God whose very nature is to serve others. And Paul knows if this truth grips our heart, it will humble us. It will give us a desire to serve one another. We're continuing this morning our little series in summer songs from the scriptures. Uh, Incidentally, I I don't normally work very hard at titles. I have worked very hard at this time. And uh, our title, uh, the titles for this month, they all come from pop songs. And uh, this morning's is Hang On To Your Ego. Does anyone know who sang that? I'm disappointed in you all. Nobody knows that? It's on the tip of your tongue. I think it was the Beach Boys. Uh, Andrew knew it deep in his ego somewhere. Um, (laughs) That is totally... Totally by the by and incidental, all I'm trying to demonstrate to you is that in my time at St. Steams, I've learned some pop culture, and I clearly now surpass all of you. Anyway, scholars debate whether this is really a song. Verses uh, 6 to 12 look like a song. It, it doesn't really matter whether it is or not. It's clearly a poem of some kind. It's got poetic features, but I'm not really interested in, in the poetry. I'm interested in its potency. As we get hold of this, as we meditate on this, it will transform us, as in fact it's transformed Christians through the ages. And I want to look at this under three headings. The first is this, the pattern, the pattern of service. Paul urges the Philippians to have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. Look at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what's Jesus' attitude? That being in very nature God... He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Jesus is God. He is absolutely equal with God the Father. But rather than insist on that equality being recognized, rather than grasping and demanding people acknowledge that he's as good as the Father, he humbly negates himself. As I read this, I couldn't help thinking of one of our kids. To protect the guilty, I won't say which one. Uh, But one of our kids... Uh, whenever you praise, whenever somebody praises their siblings, very quickly says, Mummy, I'm good at that too, aren't I? Daddy, I'm good at that too, aren't I? And it's very interesting, very striking, because actually in that raw form, it's a very ugly trait. But I want to suggest that many of us, if not all of us, are like that. I know that I certainly am. We've learned to refine it. We've learned to do it in a, a socially acceptable way, but we all do that. We long to be recognized, don't we? Imagine your 
playing some kind of sport. Maybe you're going off to play touch rugby. And uh, there's two tries that afternoon. You score one of them. A teammate gets the other. But afterwards, everyone is talking about your teammate's try. Well, you're slightly ticked, aren't you? And you subtly try and weave the conversation back to your heroic try. We long to be recognized. And when we have that prideful attitude, it stops us serving. There are certain jobs that we begin to think, I'm too important to do that. Or I don't want to be seen doing that. I don't want to be seen restocking the toilet tissues because people might think that's all I'm good for. I don't want to be seen with the people who are slightly uncool because people might think that I'm uncool. And that attitude destroys service. But you see, that's so different to Jesus's. He didn't demand recognition. He didn't grasp it. He was secure in his identity as God, and instead he made himself nothing. He was willing to lay aside the honor he was due. He took the form of a servant. So often I think one of the reasons we don't serve is we see something in church and we think, it's not my job. We see some mess or some chaos that somebody's created, and we think, well, it's not my job. I didn't cause it. And it's true, it's not, is it? But it wasn't Jesus' mess that he sorted out. It was our mess. He saw other people's mess and he made himself a servant. But not only was he a servant, he was made in human likeness, wasn't he? The end of verse 7. Now, Paul is not being down on humans. It's easy to think, well, Paul's just knocking humanity. Humans are rubbish. No, humans are great. We are wonderfully, fearfully made in the image of God. But we are so much less than God. God is the creator of the universe, the only being in the universe that was not created. And yet he crosses that divide and becomes a creature. And the difference in dignity is as if you could imagine one of us choosing to become a cockroach. But remember, Jesus doesn't just come on holiday doesn't just stay a few days as a human. He remains a human. His humanity is forever. God is united in the person of his son to humanity forever. For all eternity. It's a remarkable thing. But you see, having then become a human, he doesn't just say, well, I'm here now, guys. Worship me. I've done enough. I've come all the way down. No, he keeps serving. He becomes obedient even to death. Verse 8. God was willing to die. Isn't that an extraordinary thought? Wesley got it right. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? And God became man. And as a man, he tasted death. But not a good death. Not a death after a long, virtuous life. Not a death in glory in a battle or something like that. Death on a cross, a cruel instrument of torture reserved only for runaway slaves and insurrectionists, terrorists. Jesus' path is down and down and down, serving, humbling, serving, humbling himself. And there were many chances, weren't there, to abandon this. I think one of the most poignant moments in Jesus' life is as he hangs on the cross and those around him taunt him. If you are the Christ, come down, save yourself, prove to us that you are the Christ. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I'd be so tempted to prove it. I so often want to prove my worth. And yet Jesus didn't. He stayed there. 
In fact, actually, if you think what he did shortly after that, he looks down from the cross and he sees John and the two Marys. What does he say to John? This Mary treated as your mother. Isn't that extraordinary? Even there, as he's hanging in agony, he doesn't say, well, I'm too busy. I'm too much pain to think of others. He's even then, as he gasps his last breath, thinking of serving others. It's an extraordinary thing. And as we see this example, as we meditate on this, it changes us. It shows us, it shows me that starkly we are not like this. We serve when it suits us. We forgo our preferences when they don't mean much to us. But so often we think only of ourselves. We avoid those who are different and difficult. But thinking of Jesus changes us. I started looking at this on Monday morning. And I I worked on it for an hour or two at home. And then I, I went into the office. And I promised I'd be there for morning tea. And I was running late. So as I was coming out of Lakewood Drive onto Lake Terrace Road, and I saw a guy coming the other, day, uh, the other way across me, and then it turned out he wasn't indicating and nipped in a side of me. I could have got out and sped up a few minutes. I was really quite cross. And I remember thinking, I wish this guy would read Philippians 2. If only he'd think about Jesus, he'd stop being such a selfish... And um, he'd... <laughs> And then, in God's kindness, the Holy Spirit caught hold of me, and I thought, hold on a minute, you are only ticked, James, because that guy has inconvenienced the great James Ballinger. You are only thinking about yourself. You are not thinking of him as greater than you, which is exactly what this passage you spent two hours looking at is all about. Maybe he's rushing to the hospital. Maybe he's wrapped up in some thought. Maybe he's just selfish, but... why, why are you so grumpy that you are inconvenienced in preference to him? And friends, how different would church life be if we did this, if we looked at Jesus and then looked at others as greater than ourselves? If we laid down our preferences willingly? And do you see what Jesus is modeling to us? He's modeling to us the character of God. That God uses his power, his privilege, not for himself, but for others. I was thinking about this and the way it's changed the Western world. There was an article this morning in Stuff about the COVID-19 vaccine. And rightly, I think we'd say, people are striving to give those vaccines to the elderly, to the weak, to those who are immunocompromised, that kind of thing. Now, to the people of Paul's day, that would be utterly mind-boggling. They would say, why on earth would you waste those vaccines on weak people, on poor people, on old people? You give them to the rich, the powerful, the strong. That is the way society works. They're rich and strong and powerful because God has blessed them. And, And so don't give it to the weak. And friends, we don't think like that. Tom Holland in his magnificent book, dominion the making of the modern mind shows how it's not just christians but the whole of western society has changed from that doggy dog power is right kind of world to one where power is used to serve because jesus died even for slaves jesus laid down his life for the weak because power is not to be used for itself and not just the church but society is transformed and that should give us courage As we look at this, it will transform us. And sadly, as our world moves away from that, it moves more and more to this kind of dog-eat-dog world.
we desperately need to see this pattern of service. But we don't just have a pattern here, do we? We have a promise. We have a promise of vindication. If verse 8 ended here, it wouldn't actually be very inspiring, would it? Jesus might be the most loving man, the most serving man ever to have walked the earth. But at the end of the day, he ended up dead. And not many of us would want to go there. You might think that's very nice for him, but not a particularly good example to follow. Well, Jesus did die, but then God exalted him. God vindicated him. Look at verse 9. Jesus humbled himself to the cross, therefore... God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see the point? The most humble man is exalted to become the most glorified man. And we see that exaltation in part now as people around the world and churches all over the place today glorify him. They give him the glory he deserves. But in the future, one day all will bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. Not me, not you, not Caesar, not our boss, not some politician in some beehive. Jesus is Lord. That's why it's imperative, isn't it, that we tell people. Either they respond and bow the knee in humble submission now, or one day they'll meet him as their enemy and they will bow the knee by force. But do you see why Paul is highlighting this here? This pattern of humility and then the promise of vindication is the way the world works. Remember what Jesus says. Whoever wants to be great among you must become your... What did he say? Does anyone remember? Doing better than the Beach Boys. Become your... Say it loudly. Servant. And... whoever wants to be first must be yet last or slave of all it's extraordinary isn't it serve like Jesus and you may not be considered great now humble yourself now and you may well be trampled on but one day your true greatness will be revealed because on judgment day the humble will be vindicated it's very interesting isn't it in the Christian world the people we put on pedestals so often isn't it it's the guy who's on the stage it's a great preacher the guy with the phenomenal gifts. We rarely see the guy who's beavering away behind the scenes held up like that. We rarely see the woman who loves God, loves people, quietly sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. They are rarely given honor in this world, but on judgment day, they will be vindicated. In the 18th century, uh, there were two phenomenal evangelists, George Whitfield and John Wesley. And uh, they largely are on the same page, but there were just some slight theological differences. But there were great tensions be- between their followers. And one day, Wesley's followers went to him and said, Sir, will we see George Whitfield in heaven? And Wesley said, quick as a flash, no, we won't. And there was a great beam on their face. They were so thrilled at uh, this thought of Whitfield not being in heaven. And then Wesley said, Mr. we won't see Mr. Whitfield because he will be so much closer to the throne of Jesus. Now that in and of itself is a remarkable example of humility, isn't it? Thinking of a rival greater than yourself. But it just illustrates how this might work. In heaven we will all be there if we trust in Christ. But there is a sense that some will be nearer Jesus. They will be rewarded. And the values of this world are all topsy-turvy. Here people push ahead and they get glory. But it's only transitory. 
But God will glorify his people. He will vindicate us with a glory that is eternal. Friend, the lower you go, the higher you will rise. Remember that when you're thinking, should I serve? Should I lay down my preference in a costly way for somebody else? Should I bother to talk to that awkward person in the corner over morning tea? The lower you go, the higher you'll rise. Today's costs will be turned to eternal crowns. Well, there's a pattern of service. There's a promise of vindication. Finally, do we see the possibility of doing this? With the possibility of doing this. As we look at the example of Jesus, I wonder if there's a sense of being overwhelmed. This is too much. Imagine if I somehow could get a great runner in here. And he'd give us a demonstration of how to run. He he shows us his techniques. And then I I told us, we're going to see the vindication of those methods as he wins an Olympic gold. Now, it'd be quite an interesting thing to do, wouldn't it? Imagine a number of people would come. But I'm not sure it'd be that inspiring. Because however hard we tried, however we tried to copy that guy, we're never going to win a gold medal, are we? I wonder if there's a sense we look at Jesus and we just think, well, he's great, but I can never do that. And actually, it's, it's kind of demotivating. But Jesus isn't just a model outside of ourselves to copy. Jesus' death and his resurrection makes it possible to serve like this. But if we're to serve like this, we need to remember Jesus has served us first. Jesus didn't just come to serve in general. didn't just come to give an example. He came to serve to free us from our sinful and selfish ways. And if we let him serve us, if we put our trust in Jesus, we are freed from this. In verse 5, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Literally, it says this, have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Let me say it again. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're a Christian, you have this mind. The person who Jesus has served, the person who's put their trust in Jesus, is united to him by his spirit, and we have received his mind. And the Holy Spirit, day by day, is transforming us more and more into that image. Left to ourselves, our natural inclination is to consider our own things. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, secure in our relationship to him, we are freed to serve like this. The story is told of a famous pub uh, by a highway called the Cock Inn. And it was called the Cock Inn because they had an enormous cockerel. And uh, people passing by would stop at this inn just to see this cockerel. And it was tethered to a stake and had a little chain around its neck. And, And the cockerel would spend all day walking around in a circle. And there's a kind of rut on the ground. And people would would come and watch this. And the owners of the the inn made a lot of money. Anyway, somebody else took over ownership. And um, they thought it was a little bit cruel to have this cock uh, tied up. And so they set it free. They undid the chain from its neck. But the cockerel kept walking around and around in circles in that rut, non-stop. And friends, there's a sense that we are like that cockerel. Jesus has set us free. The chains are gone. Our nature has been chained. We died with Christ and have risen with him. And yet so often we stay in the same rut. But we have the mind of Christ. We can think differently. We can serve differently. 
But it doesn't just happen by magic. This isn't some kind of electric shock. We need to keep thinking on Jesus. We need to take these verses and rub them into our souls, apply them to our daily life. In a few minutes, we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. Why not use that time, not to chat to somebody next to you, use that time to do business with the Lord. Perhaps use that time to look back and see at the cross Jesus laying down his life for you, serving you. Perhaps look up and remember now he is vindicated, that the pathway of serving leads to vindication. And look forward to the day when he will return and be vindicated fully and finally. That is the promise. We will be vindicated if we serve. And look in and see the ways we don't serve like Jesus. The ways we hold on to our pride and think we're greater than others. And confess them. And leave them at the cross. And then look around. Look around and see your brothers and sisters. See people to serve. Perhaps see people who you think too highly of and are fearful of. Or see people you look down on with an attitude of pride and again confess it and be changed Jesus has given us a pattern of service he's given us a promise if we follow him we will be vindicated and he's made it possible we have the mind of Christ let's lay hold of that let's humble ourselves before him that he might lift us up let's pray together Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this marvelous example. And we thank you more than the example that he has served us. And we pray, Father, help us to lay hold of the freedom, the mind, the security that we have in Christ, that we might not serve ourselves, but serve others to his praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.